Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Achieve Your Goals podcast community. It's me, John Berghoff. This is a first. I am here with Robin Stratton Burkessel. You want to say hi, Robin? Hi, everybody. This is Robin Stratton Burkessel. And here's what's great. So Robin and I are, we're sitting on a couch and we're at Case Western Reserve University. We just finished putting on the fourth global forum for business as an agent of world benefit. And what that event's all about, that'll be a story for another time I'll do in another episode. I had the privilege of hosting it and designing it, and it was a ton of fun. But what's really cool about it, one of the things, is that I have individuals who I have been a follower of, a fan of, a learner from, who were at this event in the audience for the last three days. And Robin was one of them. I'm a huge fan, Robin, of your Positivity Strategist podcast. So all of you listeners to Achieve Your Goals podcast, you've got to go check out Positivity Strategist. You'll love it. I'm a huge fan of that podcast. So I can't wait to hear what you think. But we're going to talk about, I'm going to ask Robin about how she got to be the positivity strategist and maybe what are some of your cool, wild experiences have been since you've started that people you've met, conversations you've had, lessons you've learned. Where do you want to start? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. I am just so honored to be here. And um, when John said that he was had listened to my podcast show, I was totally flattered. I never know, you know, there's a saying that Jewett Jones says in his beautiful video, Celebrate What's Right with the World. You know that video? Yeah, yeah. And he's interviewing an Irish woman and she's a beautiful weaver and he thinks he's being very smart. And he says to her, oh, what do you think about when you weave? And she, her reply to him was, nothing. When I weave, I weave. <laughs> and I just love that expression. Anyway, he goes on and tells a lot of other stories, but the line that I really want to share with you is that he says, when you publish something in your life, you never know where it's going to show up. Yeah. And I really feel that, you know, with, cause I'm really into producing content. I love producing content and the content that I love to produce is all about AI, the success stories of AI, positive psychology, Barbara Fredrickson's work on positivity. So I just want to put it out there in the world. And give it almost like mass appeal, yeah. you know, out of yeah. the academic settings, maybe out of the corporate settings, but just to make it very accessible. So Positivity Strategies came about because my former website was Positive Matrix, and I created that after I'd done my AI certification, gosh, way back, like 13, 14 years ago. And then I decided I wanted to rebrand myself. So I didn't want to just go out there as an organization development person, AI practitioner. Again, you know, words that... What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. what does it mean? Yeah. So I wanted to focus on positivity Yeah. because of my heroes in the world who inspire me. And I just thought, what do I really do? Well, I help people think about their future. I help organizations think about their future. So I'm really helping them with strategy. So why don't I be a positivity strategist? Yeah. <laughs> and I just made it up. That's how it came about. 
I love that. And I have to say, here's what's so fun about sitting here on a couch, like one foot away from you, because we're sharing this one microphone, uh, which is funny. It's making us laugh. But what's fun about this is until three days ago, Robin, I've been listening to your podcast and I love it. And one of the things I love is your accent, by the way. Where is your accent from? Huh. Well, come on, you'd know. Is it Australia? Yes. yes, Is that home for you? Not now. Not now, but um, that was my original home. I came here just about 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I have to ask you, John, what do you like about my podcast? Well, I was laughing at myself just now because I was thinking hearing you speak Mm -hmm. is actually just really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. But really... You have some interviews that you've done, and you can remind me of some of the names because I remember the content. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember one of the first ones I listened to was actually an interview you did with Roberta Baskin, mm-hmm. and who we just had Roberta. We just published an episode with her last week on the Achieve Your Goals podcast. Oh, wow. In fact, what's kind of crazy is somebody who lives 10 minutes from where you and I are mm-hmm. sitting, a mm-hmm. teacher at a school, mm-hmm. heard that podcast and sent an email and said, wait, you're hosting the global forum like 10 minutes from my house. And she's here this week, which was really cool. Yeah. yeah. When you publish in your life, you yeah. never know where it's going to show up. So your interview with Roberta, I really loved your interview with, and remind me again, his name. He talked about savoring the moment. Akeem? Oh, Akeem Novak. Yes. Akeem he had just Novak. published a book. That was my second interview with Akeem, who's a personal friend. And the book is called The Moment. Yeah. And I introduced Ahim to Barbara Fredrickson's work. Yeah. And so he read Positivity. He read Love 2.0, Positivity Resonance, those micro moments of positivity and micro connections really resonated with him. Yeah. And so he kind of brings it into his work now because he does a lot of presentation training and a lot of mindfulness stuff. And he's, you know, into esoteric Eastern philosophies. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you enjoy that. He's a great storyteller. In in a minute, I want to actually ask you what you enjoyed most from this week, from having Barbara Fredrickson at this Mm -hmm. event. But one of the things I loved from that episode was, and I'll always remember this, him introducing the idea of, and I think there's a certain type of wisdom, Parajana wisdom, I'm sure I miss saying that, but it's the idea of recognizing in the moment the deeper meaning versus giving meaning to something maybe after the mm-hmm. fact or thinking about the future. Mm-hmm. And I listen, anytime I listen to anything, it's always while I'm trail running. Mm-hmm. So it's amplified because mm-hmm. I just remember running through the woods where I was and hearing him talk about the magic of feeling the meaning in the moment. So I really appreciated that. But what have been some of your favorite interviews? Well, I love the one with Ken Gergen. The father, if you like, of social constructionism and such a big influence in appreciative inquiry. And he is such a wise, learned man. I was really a bit nervous. I was intimidated by the thought of talking with Ken Gergen and yeah. was stunned when he accepted my invitation. Yeah. And um, yes, because he's such a generous, kind man. And he, I asked him to make social construction simple for people. And... Um, He did. He told stories. And he said something in that podcast, which has been very influential in my work too, and I I share it with others, because we talked about today, where is the connection? And so he said that, well, you might remember this, it's not about Descartes saying, I think, therefore I am. It's really about, I connect, therefore I am. Mm. And, you know, that is so... You know, we're really becoming far more conscious of the needs of we as human beings, that connection 
is one of the highest, you know, values or needs. And that's what Barbara talks about as well. It's those micro moments of connection when you really feel that love, that real love, the real love meaning not the romantic kind of love, but just the respect, the value that you see in another human being. Mm. For any of our Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners who are newer to the concept of, or have never heard the phrase social constructionism, can we talk about that a little bit? Because I heard that phrase for the first time a few years ago, and I can't claim that it's something I teach, but I've been fascinated by my understanding of what it is or my attempt to understand the concept of social constructionism. And I think that it's something that our listeners could really benefit by understanding, especially when it comes to bringing into reality new goals, new aspirations. What are any thoughts you have on sharing us with us what you've learned about this concept called social constructionism? Well, um, let me just say, go and listen to that particular episode with Ken yeah, Gergen yeah. on positivity strategies because he, he'll do it better <laughs> than I can do it. But essentially, the premise is that we live in a socially constructed world, okay? And how we socially construct that world, they're constructs that we have about who we are and, you know, how the world functions in a way. And so it's through the words that we speak the stories we tell each other, and the relationships that we have. It's all about the relatedness. So how we relate to each other, again, through language, through stories, and how we construct our images of the world, they're not a truth. I mean, we all have our own truths. We all have our own realities. We all have our own experiences. So the beauty of social construction is that you and I sitting down and having a conversation, we're co-creating this relationship between us with the possibility of maybe something new emerging from what we tell each other. So we're creating new truths, new realities, new stories. You know, I teach advanced applications of AI and that principle, when people get it, they just kind of feel a sense of relief that they have the power to change their stories how they relate to people, how they think about themselves, talk about themselves, talk about others. So if you think about setting goals or, you know, wanting to achieve something in the future, it might start with, well, what am I telling myself about my own capabilities? What words do I use to describe myself? What words am I using when I talk about my family? What are the metaphors that I use? You know, where do I get my information from that's informing me of who I am? and informing me of how you are. And we can change that. Yeah. So if we become much more conscious and deliberate and intentional about our language and how we respect and relate to each other, you can achieve a lot. Yeah, it's uh, for me as a parent and a husband, when I first came across the concept of social constructionism, I was able to understand it best just by thinking about my personal life, by thinking about in my relationship with my wife, what are the conversations that we have and being able to actually just be an observer of what are the stories that we are perpetuating directly or indirectly by what we talk about. And even just stepping back and as simply putting it as 
are we telling stories to each other? And for me, when I say telling stories, every conversation we have is some example of perpetuating a story, either literally or indirectly. But I've really enjoyed stepping back and asking, are these conversations uplifting? Are these stories that are putting us in a positive place? Or are we allowing ourselves unconsciously to have too many conversations that are not lifting us up in some sort of meaningful way? And I see it with my kids. And that actually helped me to better understand it at work. If I'm doing something in my business, just being super sensitive and super conscious and trying to have an awareness of what are the conversations that I'm having with people? Are we having conversations together that are lifting us up? And we now know because of the science that that makes us smarter. It makes us better. It makes us more intelligent, right? We've learned that from even what Barbara shared with us this week. Yeah, kind of getting that positivity gene. We can learn that, right? We can learn ourselves into it. But I think the expression that we use to describe social constructionism is words create worlds. And I think that says it simply that, so the words we use create the worlds we live in. So if we are very deficit-based, just like you're saying, and we're only seeing and we're only watching, we're only reading stuff that is damaging, hurtful, harmful, discouraging, despairing, that's what we're kind of creating in our mental models. So we have to be very conscious and we can learn what do I focus on now that I actually can shift? And, you know, going back to the neurology of it, we're actually changing the neural connections in our brain and then that impacts us at the cellular level. So it's just such a, a lovely example of that. It's the mind-body-heart connection, yeah. all of it. When you say our words create our worlds, there's a quote that I sent out to a mastermind group that we lead last week. And I can't remember where I saw it. It was actually just on a sign in the wall in our office. And I thought, I love this. And it said, our language creates the limits of our lives. Our limitations of our lives are created by the limitations of our language. In other words, my experience of the world and what I'm able to communicate with others in any setting is limited by the words that I have access to in that moment. And that's kind of an eye-opening idea for me. And you just said something, Robin, that reminded me of something that I don't mind admitting, that I had this experience not long ago where I'm not really proud of what's going on politically in our country right now. And most of the time, it's not a never thing, but most of the time I do a pretty good job of being aware of what's going into my mind. And I found myself rationalizing recently, watching the news, and the way I rationalized it was, well, this is entertainment to me, because right now, reality TV has become reality in our country, which is so funny. So I rationalized it as entertainment, but then I had to catch myself and realize, wait a minute, if this is what I keep allowing in, this is going to restructure my thoughts, my language, what I talk about, what I think about. And I had a moment where I thought... I don't even want to be thinking about just because I don't want to be talking about this stuff. And I had to shut it off and get present to that. But I love that reminder for us that our words create our worlds. Oh, please. I just want to say, so can you imagine then if you speak other languages, how bigger your world can be? So, for example, I studied French and German at school and university, and I'm married to a German speaking man. And we get to speak in German very rarely, unfortunately. But, you know, when you speak another language, 
a whole different world opens up for you. A different culture begins to open up for you. So I always think that that people who are multilingual mm -hmm. have such richness and so much to offer because yeah. Yeah. of the different perspectives they can add. I want to know about Robin, you personally. What do you do outside of all the amazing content that you're creating? What gives you joy in your life when you're not interviewing incredible people for your podcast? What gives you joy? What causes you to come alive? Nature, my husband, and my cat. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of your cat? Neo. Neo. She's a big, black, fluffy cat. And there's a story attached to this, but she came into my life at a very significant time in my life. And I had a health issue and she came out of a tree. And then when we discovered she was about six weeks old and she was healthy and she was a female, I wanted to name her something that represented life to me and light. And we came with neon and things like that, but we ended up with Neo from the Matrix. The you know he yeah. was the one. the one, and so she's one of the joys of my life. I absolutely adore her, and I have the most wonderful husband. So we're very outdoor oriented, kayaking, biking. He was a professional photographer, so we go on vacations that are photography, you know, vacations. Yeah. So I like being outdoors. And yeah, I think so. I mean, I really love my work, so it's actually hard to get me stop working. Yeah. I need to read more for recreation, but I'm always reading things that are related to my profession because yeah. I just, I love it. I just love it so much. I think you and I have many shared friends and at this event who believe in, and there was a belief at this event that we just finished that nature has this profound power what has your experience been of what nature does for you, for your inner well-being? I feel a sense of peace. I feel a sense of humility. I feel a sense of responsibility in a way. When you go hiking in some gorgeous natural spaces, I just feel so lucky to have that opportunity and I want it to be there forever. But mainly it's a sense of, I savor nature. And again, that's one of the positive emotions, right? So the savoring is a lingering sense of good well-being. If I walk every morning because it's my kind of meditation as I walk, and I actually like to walk and listen to podcasts, I have to say. Yeah. And sometimes I have to train myself and say, no, I really just need to be. And I need to pay really careful attention to enjoy the trees. And I'm living in Florida at the moment. And so the birds are just gorgeous. You know, there are all these fabulous birds. So just nature fills my soul. So let me give you a story. Yeah. So I grew up in Australia and I grew up with vast open spaces, obviously. I mean, I actually lived in, in the city urban area, but I lived on the coast and it was endless blue sky, endless blue ocean, endless beaches, endless trees, just gorgeous. And I always felt very nourished by water and the sky and the trees. And then when I married Jürgen and we moved to New York, I was dying in New York City. Mm. You know, I'd have to go to the parks just yeah. to... A lot of cement. Yeah. That's when I truly recognized how nurturing being in nature can be. So if I get anxious about anything, go for a walk in nature. Yeah. If you're lucky enough... You know, not everyone has that same opportunity if they're living in an urban environment. So I did a lot of work in Jersey City when I was living in that area. 
and you know there would be streets with no trees at all and we know also scientifically that a beautification of a streetscape with trees really lifts people's sense of well-being yeah. so we do need nature one of the things that we do in our office and in our home is we try and always have plants or flowers and just because it's one way to bring life into our spaces i personally am a, such a big fan of nature we moved our whole family you and i just met this week so what's funny is like we're this is like we're getting to know each other so i'll tell you a story about myself i had a moment last year where oh, this was 2 years ago wow maybe two and a half years ago time is flying where there was a year where i was spending a lot of time in nature and i don't know if it was a chicken before the egg thing but it was also a year where i was really thinking a lot about what do i value in my life and i don't know if nature was inspiring that or if it was doing a lot of reflecting on or reading about values and putting me in nature but either way it caused me to leave a really positive career opportunity to start something brand new to sell our home and buy a home all within like a one month period of time we had a baby our third child along with a 3-year-old and a 5-year-old at the time but it was all to align with our values and one of the biggest ones is i wanted to be near nature so we moved to a home that and what's crazy is my wife wanted to live in a neighborhood cuz she's more socially inclined than I am. I would be happy alone in the middle of the woods forever. I love people but I really love being alone too. She is super social and really embraces creating community. So she wanted a neighborhood. I wanted to be in the middle of nowhere. And we happened to find a neighborhood that backs up to this 300 acre preserve. and the one house that is at the trailhead went on the market and we bought it 2 days later so we we back up to this nature and it's changed my life in many ways to be able to wake up walk outside and go through these beautiful trails around a lake it's literally our backyard but we don't take care of it somebody else does yeah, that's fantastic in fact when we moved to florida the first house that we looked at we fell in love with it because it was near a nature preserve with a lot of trails in it. Yeah. And so I fell in love with the environment, right? Environment is one of the key things so that you know that's what we're talking about here nature. However, we didn't buy that house. We almost bought it because just the location of it. Yeah. The house wasn't good, but the location was great. <laughs> hey, you mentioned you listen to podcasts. This is totally random. Do you listen to your own shows afterwards? Not all the time. And when I do, I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I have never actually I have one episode that I've ever done that I went back and watched and it was on somebody else's podcast. No, so sometimes, you know, I'm very interested in understanding other people's perspectives or how stuff that I do might land on other people. So, if I'm writing or I do a podcast, I'm often thinking about, well, how will this be received? And so in order to understand how it's being received, I have to listen to myself or read myself and I have to force myself to do it but I think it's valuable to do. Yeah. 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 So I want to come back to lessons that you've learned Robin and when you reflect on all of these great interviews that you've done around the topic of positivity if you had to think about are there one or two or three lessons that stick out for somebody who's listening that they could apply in a practical way when they're done listening to this episode 
and it could help them in achieving their goals in their lives. Are there two or three big lessons that have jumped out for you over your years of teaching about positivity and learning from others in that area? Yeah. And in fact, when I first started the podcast, John, I invited all my guests to give three positivity tips. And I stopped doing that. You know, you kind of evolve into something different. But for me, it's very simple. And it's nothing new, I'm going to say, and people might be doing this already. But I really believe in writing out what your vision is, like in a number of areas of your life. So I did that for seven years. Okay, this doesn't necessarily come from the podcast. But in doing that, everything that I wrote down actually was manifested. So there was these vision statements. And every morning, it was the first thing I did. So, you know, I wanted to have publish a book and I wanted to do this and I worked and I had, you know, seven things. Find a house in a beautiful environment. Do a triathlon. So they were around community. They were around my health. They were around professional, around relationships, being in community. So we moved to a nice area. So the sense for me is when you write these things down and you do it, it's a practice. So we know that you practice, 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 and in that way you are creating those, strengthening those neural connections in the brain. It's reinforcing it, and those things do come to life. So I'm a firm believer in writing down your vision statements, more than goals specifically, because they're habits. And so habits become behaviors and become part of your thinking. So it then gets integrated, and you begin to embody it. So it increases your awareness, you begin to practice and you start to embody these things and you start to manifest them. So I do believe in that. Um, linked to that, I would recommend people reading Fredrickson's work, Barbara Fredrickson, Positivity. The first book is Positivity because she talks about the positivity ratio. And so there's a little self-quantification instrument in the book and on her website where you can evaluate you know, how much positivity you are bringing into your life on a daily basis. So again, if you were to take stock of that and audit yourself, and um, the science tells us that we need three to five positivity experiences in our day to actually increase the positivity within our own system. So a gratitude journal is a great way to do that. I think Meditation, of course, is another way. And in fact, as a result of this um, forum that we've just experienced together with your awesome, awesome facilitation, I made a commitment to myself to get more serious about meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do the loving kindness meditation. That's another thing I would say. And you'll find that on Fredrickson's website. But this loving kindness meditation, I do that every single morning. And what is that for anyone who's not familiar? What is loving kindness meditation? Okay. So, you know, you can make yourself comfortable, get yourself into a quiet space, just breathe gently, quietly, and you say to yourself, may I feel healthy? May I feel safe? May I feel secure? May I feel happy? May I feel healthy? May I feel strong, strong and healthy, and then may I live with ease. And um, if you say these things to yourself, again, you're putting it into your brain, you're putting it into your body, and it does just kind of shift your energy around. Yeah. Well, in this week, Barbara presented at this conference that the science now is getting stronger and more abundant, that 
this is not just a feel good, soft idea. It does feel good and it changes us biologically in very positive ways. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Didn't you notice, John, that a lot of when people were doing feedback and reporting out about what had been, you know, a good moment for them or a high point, positivity came up very frequently. And Barbara's presentation to us had such a strong impact on the majority of the audience, if not everybody in the audience, to the point where they shared that. Yeah, that's a great reminder. And that also reminds me, for anybody who, you know, this event that we just finished, there, there were a number of leaders in the room who lead organizations and teams of all different types and consultants that lead teams and organizations like yourself. And one of the things that I was reminded of when Barbara was sharing this was that if I lead a team and there's research that just came out of Google where they hired a scientist, I think from Harvard, because they wanted a really good answer to what is the number one determinant of an effective team? And as part of their discovery, they realized that one of the qualities that is universal across high-performing teams is that there is a feeling of what they called psychological safety. People feel psychologically safe. And really, if you look at what you're sharing with us about generating compassion or love for ourselves and for others, that is what leads to creating a psychologically safe place. In the simplest terms, people want to feel like we're around people who are coming from a place of caring and compassion and love. And again, you know, these are the kinds of things that I think, unfortunately, it's not the norm. It's not the majority of entrepreneurs or business leaders that are talking about love. And the challenge is we need to get the science and the evidence out there. And that's what you've been doing, which is so cool that that is what leads to better performing teams. And that's great. Yeah. And I would add that creating new habits might be more desirable than setting a whole bunch of goals. And if you fail to reach the goals, what do you do to yourself? Beat yourself up. Yeah. (laughs) Which is not a good thing, right? But if you form really good habits, they're on the way to achieving what it is that you want for your life. Yeah, it's the difference between working on who I'm being versus what am I doing. Both matter, but it's an emphasis on the being piece. That's really cool. When you think about this week, what was maybe a high point moment for you? Any connection with anybody there? I know you have many longtime friends in this room. An experience, a collaboration, any or any of the presenters, anything specifically that jumps out for you as a high point moment for this event? Well, the whole thing has been great, as I said. And maybe this is a recency factor. And all those things that you mentioned, great speakers. The guy from Priceline, what's his name? Jeff Jeff Hoffman, yeah. Jeff Hoffman was just amazing. I think most people got a lot out of that. And connecting with my tribe was really important. But the thing that stands out and the most recent thing was co-facilitating with Lindsay, who's one of my heroes. But I was facilitating a group of Spanish speakers and we were working on Aim to Flourish 2.0, which is, you know, part of this conference here. And it was just so powerful. I almost understood everything that was going on. And they would be translating and writing in English and they were using their cell phones to find out how to spell these things in English. But just the fact that a group came here from a number of countries in South America, they formed teams here and they worked on their own action planning going forward, what the dream is that they want to take. 
And I just felt that that was such a beautiful moment to just be a witness to the energy, the creativity, the excitement, and the hard work they put into a very short time to come up with some specific direction going forward and finding an action plan to make it happen. And just believing, and you know, every time I'm involved with AI, whether I'm participating or whether I'm facilitating, I just count my blessings because when you trust the people and you have a great process, it just works. It is magical. Yeah, yeah. As you were saying that, I'm just sitting here thinking that this whole event was in a moment of epic creativity, epic levels of creativity to have participants from 29 countries spread across all these different design teams and in a relatively short window of time brainstorming and then bringing ideas to life and presenting them to the whole room. It's like a big magic trick. (laughs) It was really, I love how you put that to be able to witness that is really cool. Let me ask you maybe one more question here. When you think about the future for you and the work that you're doing now and where it's leading to and the influence that you're having and that you will have and could have or might have, When you think forward into your future, what gets you most excited about what's coming up, what's next, what you might be creating? I have a vision to be almost a media company, (laughs) and it is around content. And I'm blessed to be married to a digital strategist, so he knows anything to do with digital technology, marketing in a digital space. And he's the one who inspires me to experiment with my love, which is appreciative inquiry and facilitating participatory processes. And he helps me kind of codify all that data. So I take the experience and the theory and put it into, as I said it right at the beginning, make it more accessible for people. So I really get a kick out of just producing content for the web. And where that will take me, I'm not too sure yet, John. But I I would like to do webinars. I would like to have a mastermind group. You know, I have this vision of creating a community of agents for positive change. And it's loose. I mean, I get so many people emailing me daily, thanking me for resources that they get from my website. And I do a lot of coaching pro bono because students reach out to me and say, oh, you know, I'd like to interview you. And people in developing countries want support and help. And so I enjoy that and I need to make a living out of it too, right? So thinking about ways of bringing this together in some form that is going to be delivered out there in the World Wide Web. So first of all, I cannot wait to do anything I can to help you to see all of that come to life. And I told you it might be my last question. I want to ask a question that I think a lot of our listeners would benefit from learning from you which is you have created lots of content for anybody who creates content, who's listening. I know we have a lot of listeners who create content. What have you learned about overcoming fears or hesitations in that area? Because that's something even I've faced when I'm preparing to facilitate or deliver something. As a creative, there's always these voices of hesitation and fear and criticism. How have you learned to get past that to produce and publish? Well, the written form's pretty easy, right? Because particularly if you're introverted as I am, it's easy to write and then put it out there. So I'm not sure. How do you mean? So I'll restate it this way. 
what encouragement would you have for somebody who is considering or believes they have something to offer to the world, that's considering starting a podcast or writing a book, or believes they have something to teach, but maybe they're hesitating, maybe they're afraid of how others might judge what they put out there, they're afraid or concerned, insecure about if what they have is really going to help others. Any encouragement or advice that you have for somebody who's thinking about producing content, but maybe is hesitating? Well, I, my sense is that if you have a message that you are really committed to, you're passionate about, and you believe is going to help transform people and the world, then you're almost doing a disservice if you don't actually get it out there somehow. And so it is believing in yourself and being of service. So I, I mean, I give a lot of stuff away free and it's in service of others. And I am so in love with my content that I just want to kind of get it out there. And one thing that my marketing digital strategist husband has taught me is that always be mindful of your audience. So, for example, you know, in my original website, it was all about me. You know, it was like, I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. So the transformation was speaking to an audience member. So it's all about directing it towards you, the audience. So I think being very super sensitive about how it will land on your audience and that you're actually being of service. I think the other thing is people love personal stories because that's what connects. So start documenting. So here's a tip. Start writing down your stories, you know, all the stories that you have, stories that you remember from a childhood, stories that you, you know, you go to the airport and you observe something. And I learned that, John, from doing a number of presentation skills courses. So just get a repertoire of all your stories, start writing those down, and then you have a good body of work. And your stories can illustrate whatever it is that you wish to publish in the world. So for me, it's about appreciative inquiry and positivity. For your listeners, it might be around goal setting. It might be whatever their area of specialization is. But kind of bring it back to yourself because that's when the authenticity shows through and you can write about it. And it come back to social construction. People can't argue with your own personal stories. They can't find fault in your own personal stories. Perhaps one of the best things that, you know, knocked any fear of any doing this out of me was to do a TED talk. And the preparation I put in for that, I put in like six months of preparation to do that. And, you know, just you can get up there on the stage. I mean, what about you? I mean, you're up there on the stage all the time. So how does that work for you? (laughs) I spend many hours planning and preparing. I also spend a lot of hours not knowing how things are going to go. And fortunately at this point, having enough experience that I can sense what could happen, but I can relate to everything that you just shared. Hey, speaking of your TED Talk and anywhere where anyone can find your content, tell us one more time, where can they go to find, to learn more from you? Sure. So my website is positivitystrategist.com. So if you go there, you'll find a whole bunch of resources and links to a lot of stuff. Um, you said something there that I also wanted to respond to. So your comfort with ambiguity and uncertainty, I learned that many years ago, like 30 odd years ago when I was still working in Australia. And the mindset that informed my body of work and how I 
interacted with audiences. It was all about participatory management and participatory leadership. So it was all about how you bring voices into the room and just to be open to anything can happen. And so I think having that mindset of trust and it's the process is important, but the main thing is and the kind of work that we do is trust the people. Yeah. And being comfortable with self-organization, yeah. self-management, chaos, all of those things yeah. work. Yeah. And out of chaos, order emerges. Yeah. Yeah. We see it time and time again. Yeah, we just swam through it together, hundreds of us this week. That's awesome. That's really great advice. I love that. Robin, thank you. This has been a pleasure sitting here with you at Case Western Reserve University. This is awesome. We're going to go outside. It's a sunny day. Thank you. Thank you, John. It's been awesome seeing you in action. I'm a great fan now. Yeah, you're a hero of mine, and I got to meet you. This is so cool. Oh, remember what it was our fabulous improv girls, right? Oh, yeah. Teamwork, you are my hero. What was that expression? Um, was, can you remember it? I can't remember it, but they were amazing. Yeah. Make your partner look good. Yes, but anyway, it's like in teamwork, you are my hero or something like that. Your team members are your heroes. And I really stuffed that up. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, we support, we're all there to support each other is really what the message yeah, is. Yeah. Let's not edit this last 30 seconds out just so everyone can hear us trying to remember a quote and not being able to remember it. <laughs> because we're pretty stuffed after all of this work, right? Take care. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 